Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast. I'm your host, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief of Listen, Life with Music and Culture, a print quarterly published by Steinway and Sons. Visit steinway.com listen to subscribe or learn more. My guest today is the Steinway artist Paul Lewis, who has been spending a lot of time with Ludwig van Beethoven and Franz Schubert. Lewis has a recording of the complete Beethoven piano sonatas on Harmonia Mundi, and recently completed a two-year project of recording all of Schubert's mature piano works. He spoke to me from Steinway's global headquarters in New York City. You played cello initially. Yeah. How long did you play the cello before you made the switch? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> it wasn't for you. No, well, I love the cello. It's just, um, it was hard to love when I was actually playing it. That's um, the point, really. Um, uh, I mean, I, I started when I was eight mm-hmm. with cello lessons and um, went on with that till I was 14, but made very little progress. Okay. <laughs> when you switched to piano, did, did you... Um, did you find, in retrospect, that that cello playing was helpful in any way? It's it's hard to it's, it's hard to know really. Mm. Uh, thinking back, I, I'm not sure whether I did. I mean, I was. I mean, really, I, I don't want to uh, labour yeah. the point, but yeah. I was such a bad cellist that yeah. I hope nothing stuck from from that really. Um, but I mean, obviously now, um, I, I you know when you play, and I was, of course when you play chamber music, especially, you try to imitate the sounds of string instruments and, and all of that. You know, you try to incorporate as much of that in your playing as you can. But I think that's just something I do now rather than something that was a, an influence from, from back then. I mean, I was literally scraping away. It was mm-hmm. dreadful. I, I took violin lessons for two days when I was a kid. Yeah. And it was just playing an open A and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, yeah. I knew that it wasn't the right sound. I mean, what's great about the piano is like that's... You push it. That's in tune, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or at least the tuning has nothing to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just under the fingers. Unless you bash it so hard that you put it out of tune. When you did your Beethoven project and your Schubert projects, this was, what, 10 years underwater with Beethoven. Is there some, some emotional strain that comes with that? The first time I did a, a series or a cycle of any kind was 2001-2002 season, and that was the Schubert sonatas, mm-hmm. the completed sonatas mm-hmm. plus the reliquy. That, so that, that was my first um, adventure with that, that sort of project. And what really struck me was that it, it was like having a personal relationship in a way. Sometimes it's incredibly rewarding and enlightening, and other times it's a struggle. And you know, you, you have you have the high, you take the highs with the lows. And I guess that's because it's incredibly emotional music. You know, it's just it's it's hard not to to, to be that involved with it um, when when you're immersed in it. You know, when you're, you're exclusively dealing with it all, all the time. So it becomes very personal and, and very emotional. It's, um, at the same time, I think it's good to, to try to, to keep a distance from that, you know, save it for the, for the concerts. I'm not sure it's 
it should be the sort of thing that follows you around in your daily life. You, you know? don't need to be in character all day. No, hopefully yeah. not. Yeah. No. Going through the all of the Beethoven sonatas, what what discoveries did you make? I think you know what because I did the Schubert series first, and then mm -hmm. the Beethoven sonata series was, was a few years later. Um, uh, I noticed the difference between these two composers. One of the main, uh, the differences became more pronounced the more I okay. played them. Um, and one of the main differences for me is that Beethoven always has an answer, whereas Schubert almost mm. never does. And Schubert is this overriding sense of irresolution. You know, that mm -hmm. there's no resolution. That there's that there's just a sort of open end. As opposed to the triumph of yeah, of Beethoven. which is you know resolution triumph in the middle period. Mm. Later on, it became uh, almost like a sense of just rising above everything. You mm. know, this 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 feeling that you get in one eleven, and it's. Yeah, but but in some way, Beethoven resolves. You know, he has he has an answer, and I don't know. It's interesting to speculate what that tells you about the personalities of those two composers. <laughs> but it's interesting to think about too about this idea of transcendence that he achieves. Maybe after so much work with the form, of, yeah. of in a way transcending that form. I mean, those those sonatas at the end. It's a very liberal structure that we yeah. don't see earlier. In in, 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 Beethoven. in Beethoven sonatas. Yeah, it's certain, it certainly um, develops in its own unique way late, later on. Um, as as is the case with with Schubert. I mean, Schubert. A lot of people say that Schubert struggled with with the form as well. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure he did. I think it, you could argue that if if you compare it directly to Beethoven. Because it's not like Beethoven. I think later on in the in the bigger the later Schubert sonatas, you just have this incredible sense of space. Whereas Beethoven often develops at a at high speed. You know everything is dense and and mm -hmm. very busy in the way it develops. And it mm -hmm. almost never is with Schubert. I don't think that's a that's a fault. It's just a uh, an attribute. It's just a, a characteristic of his his music, really. Which I think often it, it that's the way it's structured. It needs that space um, to to speak. To and you give it that space. And I I was struck uh, re re uh, re listening <laughs> to your Beethoven sonatas. I was struck by this uh, by the legato and, and by the rubato and by the space that you you give it. I, I mean, a lot of a lot of your movements are certainly not uh, weren't geared toward shock and awe. There was a mm -hmm. real reflection. just this morning and um, real space and time yeah. that you give it not not this need to sort of fly through yeah yeah I, I think we were saying about balance in Schumann before the same is true as Be mm. with Beethoven because you know Beethoven can traditionally be seen as this uh, tempestuous uh, boisterous outspoken unwashed character you know that sort of comes through mm -hmm. in his music and there's that is there for sure, but 
there's a balance again. You know, there's also great tenderness and, and space and, and time in there. I think it's just you know when you, you spend years with this music, I, I guess you go through life seeing the balance differently whenever every time you come back to it. Um, but that's what I try to find. I mean, for instance, the last one of the Pathetique yes. is um, maybe my tempo on the recording is slightly slower than, mm -hmm. than some other people. I, I, I see it as that there's, there's a little bit of melancholy in there. There's a little bit of nostalgia. At least that, that's how I yeah. hear it. Nostalgia even for the opening movement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. yeah. For, for the drive and for the self-assurance of that opening movement. Mm -hmm. That the last movement seems to be just a little more reflective. Now, also in that movement, and then uh, sometimes in these sonatas as a whole, um, I'm sort of reminded how Beethoven is always symphonic, mm -hmm. even when he's when he's writing for the piano. Even you know, in the in the last movement of the Pathetique, this da 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 da, you could see it being passed and forth uh, back and forth among an orchestra. So, uh, how do you how do you take that into account if if you're sort of I mean do you try to establish a, a symphonic sound from the keyboard or absolutely yeah. I think all, all the time um, the, the greatest piano music requires you to think in terms of anything other than piano sound <laughs> most, that's interesting most of the time I think because you know that that's the great thing about the piano it can be many things. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's just a piano, it's a very pure piano sound. I, I find it less interesting somehow. Mm -hmm. I think music that, that that pushes you to think in terms of mm. an orchestra or the, the more specific sounds of maybe chamber music, like um, slow movement of Opus Two Number Two, mm -hmm. could be a string quartet easily. Mm. You know, I mean, you could easily transcribe that and uh, and, and vocal as well. The, the second movement, the last movement of Opus 90, which has a slightly Schubertian feel to it, and you could you could imagine that some you know there's something vocal uh, about that, and I think you have to be thinking uh, constantly so, in these terms. Do you stay conscious? I would I would ask like even to the point of am I on a bass string right now? Are you sort of conscious of of your orchestra in front of you? Yeah, yeah. I mean to the point even. You know, when you when you play with rubato, for instance, mm -hmm. I find it especially in music where you might be thinking orchestrally, um, the, the rubato that, that you play with, I always ask myself the question, if I were conducting an orchestra, could I indicate exactly how this rubato works? You know, uh, Holding yourself responsible yeah, for the yeah. through line, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Would an orchestra be able to understand this rubato from my... Mm -hmm. gestures could I indicate that because if you can't then it, I think it falls into a very free more pianistic territory <laughs> yeah. you know you know what I mean it's yeah <laughs> self-indulgent really you could, could be a word like, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
let's go to to the Schubert. Now you 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 put together a project of to put it not so eloquently, that sort of post syphilis Schubert. Yeah. The eighteen twenty to twenty eight. And did you find what you thought you were going to find, which is to say, can we tell that Schubert knows he's on his way out? You, you have Schubert's life, then you have Schubert's music. How much of each is informing our knowledge mm. of the other? Well, a lot has been discussed about you know Schubert and his illness and whether he knew that he was on his way out. And I, what we do know is that he, that he had this diagnosis at the beginning of um, 1823. Um, the next, in terms of the piano sonatas, the next piece that was written was Deutsch 784, the A minor. There's nothing in his music that sets up w what that language becomes there. You know, what, 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 there's no precedent for that sense of austerity and sparseness and hopelessness mm -hmm. and, and terror even. Um, it's, it's something completely new. So it's hard not to link the two events. It's not, I, I, I don't um, imagine that he suddenly thought he was just gonna die there. You know, I, I think the point is that he suddenly had an acute awareness of his own mortality, you know, as a young man. Um, still in his 20s, you, you tend, most people tend not to think about that when they're in their mid-20s, really. Mm -hmm. um, at least, well, I didn't, I, I don't I know, maybe something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to speak for everyone here, but uh, I, I, th I think it's that, that awareness, the, the fact that his musical language changed so abruptly uh, and is is so you, you can detect a shift of, of, of a change in, in oh, language. There's, there's, yeah. there's a change of something. Okay. And most of what he wrote after that period, after that time, um, seems a lot more interesting than, than some of the things that came before. I'm not trying to, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that, I mean, that there are many great pieces that he wrote before that, but in general, there's a depth and a darkness and a um, ambiguousness that, that, that comes into the later period. At the least, we can say that his condition sped up his road to maturity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, practically overnight, as it seems. <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you go from here, now having, this, now having this knowledge of these two composers? Is this, is this a, a, a pattern that you want to continue as, as far as delving deep into uh, from, from one, one composer one over to the next? Yeah, I, I like to do it like that, but I don't want to do that all the time. I think it's probably healthy to, to give yourself some time some in the years in between these big projects to, mm -hmm. to mix it up and to, to play a, a variety of other things because there's such a lot of um, great music to play. It's, you know, that doesn't want to miss out on it. So at the moment, it's Mussorgsky pictures and exhibition, and yeah. Bach with Sony Choral Prelude and some list, and you know uh, Brahms D minor concerto. It's all a different bag of things, really. I, I imagine it also helps um, to not constantly be playing solo piano, to to have a balance of, of playing with others, whether it's chamber music or concertos. Or yeah, does that give you a, a healthier? It does. Because it's, it's... Bring some teamwork in, or... Yeah, <laughs> because concerto playing is different from recital playing and 
concerto and recital is different from chamber music. You know, it's, it's a different discipline, really. It's a different way of listening and different way of, of approaching, of blending and trying to um, play the right part, uh -huh. I guess. See, I don't play that much chamber music, really. Um, but when I do, it's just so hard. It's the hardest thing you can do. <laughs> because of trying to... Why is, why is, it, so, why is it so difficult? You know what you know what it is. Mm. You play chamber music. You play from the score traditionally. Right. right. I don't like playing from the score, and yet in chamber music, when everyone else is playing from the score, I don't have the confidence not to play from the score. Mm. You feel more. You feel more tied to the, to yeah. the notation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas because I'm more used to playing recitals or concertos, and that's from memory. Yeah. It just it's it's just what I'm used to. It just feels more free somehow. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a silly reason, but it's kind of um... yeah. But I, I can understand that because once you once you memorize a piece, then you're not tethered in that way. Yeah. And also, you're at that point. I mean, that's really where the musicianship starts, right? After the notes and the technique are learned, yeah. then you're you're making artistic uh, choices and decisions. Yeah. Whereas if if I have to always you know be counting rests to come in, yeah. Maybe maybe it, maybe it's harder to, to reach reach that next level. Yeah, with the, with the music in front of you. I think so because I think a, a question of trust, how much you trust yourself, also comes into it. Because when you're in a situation where you're playing from memory, mm. you have to trust yourself. There's no choice. You have the music there. Um, well, okay. Do you trust yourself, or well, I mean, if you have a memory lapse with the music, there, then you're going to feel a bit silly, aren't you? So, yeah. so do you look at the music? It's more of a, a crutch, or yeah, 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 it's more of a distraction. It can yeah. be at yeah. least. in an exhibition, it seems to be always, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it's always one of those pieces that could have been written yesterday. Yeah. It's, I mean, just an eternally modern, like I feel that with Sibelius Fifth, I feel it with, with a, a few other pieces, but this one particularly, I think in the, maybe it comes from the richness of, of color mm. in the piece, but I, what... what, what uh, I, I think is that absolutely right, because for me it's one of the most staggeringly original pieces ever written. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, in, in the last one, The Great Gate of Kiev, you get these passages which are clearly like Russian church music. Mm -hmm. So obviously Mussorgsky didn't come up with that uh, himself. You know, that, that's something that, that, that that's kind of inspired. But the rest of it, there's, there's almost, I, I can think of no precedent for, for, for right. what he writes. You know, it ju it's pure... It's totally invention. original invention. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's it's so radical, and in some cases so brutal and shocking that I, I think it, 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 that's how it has to sound. It has to sound contemporary. <laughs> your finger on something the brutality of that piece yeah it, it does it, 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 there's not uh, 
Yeah, we don't know where that comes from. No, or you can't trace that in a in a continuum. Yeah, through it, the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't compromise. He doesn't make it easy for for the listener. And the one thing that there's very little of in that piece is warmth. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. it's not that kind of it, that. There's at no point do you feel it really hugs yeah. you. You know, even that even the the promenade theme is is a bit metallic. Yeah, it's it's there's a slight there's a feeling of relentlessness about it, uh-huh. and this uh, and the meter, which of course he rightly changes between five and six and and occasionally yeah, seven. Always unsteady. Yeah. yeah, so it gives you that that sense of um, I suppose of constant movement. There's no reference mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You're always on the move, eating its tail. Yeah, but, yeah, that in itself is is radical. You know, just an idea. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for talking to me. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. Great. (laughs) I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast. Visit steinway.com soundboard to learn more. We heard Paul Lewis playing Beethoven's Pathetique Sonata, number 8 in C minor, opus 13, and Schubert's Grand Sonata, number 14 in A minor, Deutsch 784, both on Harmonia Mundi. Ravel's orchestration of Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition was performed by Fritz Reiner and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra on RCA. Following the interview, Paul Lewis's take on Pictures at an Exhibition was released on Harmonia Mundi. Our intro and outro music is Mad Rush by Philip Glass, performed live on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief of Listen, Life with Music and Culture. Visit steinway.com listen to learn more.